This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Zephyr CMS. It's a modern cloud-based CMS system that's licensed only to agencies. You can find them at ZephyrCMS.com. More about this later in the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Minter Dial. He is a professional speaker, history fanatic, and president and founder of Digital Proof Consultancy. He's also the author of a book we're going to talk about today, Artificial Empathy, Putting Heart into Business and Artificial Intelligence. So Minter, thanks for joining me. My great pleasure. Super to be on your show, John. Thanks for having me. So one of the things I left out of your short bio there is that you're also a movie producer. Let's talk about that for a minute. You uh, you actually put out a short film uh, that uh, is available. You know, you, well, tell me the backstory there. So the name of the film and the company book is called The Last Ring Home. And it was put out both times. I, I actually, if you can imagine this, John, I, I was silly enough to imagine having the launch date, publish date within one week of each other. Uh-huh. And a film by itself, albeit only 27 minutes made for television, was quite a production. And, and, you know, there's that whole stress of the moments before it. And at the very same time, in order to capitalize on the fact that the film was going to be on television on PBS, I wanted to have the book out. So there I was stressing and did both. So the, the backstory is that this is the story of my grandfather after whom I was named. And um, my father had named me, but he'd never told me anything about him. And so essentially for the first 10 years, starting in 1991, I went off to finding out about him, even though he was killed as a POW by the Japanese in the second world war. And, and I found 130 people who knew him and I, I created the story and it took my father coming to visit me on 9-11 in Manhattan on the 10th of September, 2001, for me to be able to tell him, well, because his pain was canceled and he came back on the 12th of September. And it was on that night that I was able to tell him who his father and who his mother were. Hmm. Fascinating journey. Um, I saw a little post, this doesn't, doesn't parallel this at all, but it just reminded me a little bit of it on Facebook um, today that somebody out on a walk um, had found uh, what was clearly a World War II vintage um, ring, uh, a military ring, and, you know, just kind of put it on Facebook, like on a, hey, this is a huge long shot, but, you know, I'd love to reunite the person with this. And that, uh, obviously, that's not the same, same as your well, story. Well, no, 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 but, but you know of, what? That's beautiful, John. Yeah. There you actually, so I'm in that space because the story itself is, yeah. is around his, my grandfather's Annapolis ring. And, yeah. uh, and the story is magical, but I was just going to get back to the fact that there, I, I'm, I'm in all sorts of groups about reuniting people with lost academy rings and so on. But the, yeah. the bulk of the story, John, in the middle of it is my grandfather, just as he was dying, gave the ring to a friend. The friend miraculously survives, but along the way he loses the ring. So this is in the Philippines, and then the that guy is transported up, and the ring happens to be found 17 years later in another country, Korea, hmm. by a, 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 a driver of an admiral of the United States Navy, and and that is how the ring comes back to my grandmother, um, only months before she dies. 
and they have some sort of serial number in them or something that can identify. Well, actually, the, the, so this is the Annapolis Naval Ring, and, and I have a copy of it in the back there. But it, it, they had the engraving of his name, and on the outside, the year of his class. He was 1932 Annapolis, and inside his yeah. dial. And the funny thing, Don, was that um, when it was found in the ground in Korea with this driver who was digging, they he went he's actually a friend of the driver who found it and he went to burn the ring down and when uh, they he, he then the driver goes back to see the admiral the admiral he tells the admiral listen sir a, a friend of mine found a ring that looks just like yours they jump in the jeep they go to this big town of Incheon. they actually find the other guy they find out that the ring was being had been sold to a pawn shop they run into the pawn shop and in the pawn shop they say where's the ring it's already in the fire it's too late so one third melted down. He oh. he snaps the they gets the ring out of the fire. They put it in the water, and there the admiral, this guy called George Washington Pressy, looks inside immediately and he sees the name inside. And then he says, "Oh my God, my best friend." No way! <laughs> wow, that is amazing. That's, that's a true story. So it's on PBS and it's going to be shown on Memorial Day weekend, pretty much around the United States. Um, in a couple of weeks or the end oh, of wow. May anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, fascinating. I didn't realize we were going to spend a good deal of the show on this, but uh, that's a fascinating story. Let's get into a little bit of artificial empathy. Um, so obviously this, or maybe it's not obvious, but this is a blending of the idea of empathy and artificial intelligence. Now, some people would suggest that not only did those make strange bedfellows, that may, may, maybe they... We shouldn't be talking about them uh, together. So, uh, what what is what's the overarching idea about those two things being blended? Well, so first of all, you're absolutely right. They they do sound like odd bedfellows, and and the truth is, John, of course, the people who are typically coding the AI are even stranger bedfellows, if you will, with empathy, <laughs> right. because that's not how they roll. The notion of of this is that we're looking to more humanize all this artificial intelligence reactions and, and chatbots and so on. And inevitably we're talking about adding emotions into it. And then there's this whole topic of ethics and, and should we be doing it? And so I wanted to explore where we are in this. And so I got a chance to talk to around about 12 of the most, you know, front frontiers scientists and, and uh, programmers looking at this very concept and see where we are. And then I discuss with ethicists about should we and how can we create a framework that's smart to do it. But in the end of the day, John, what I actually was trying to do was to find a, a way to get the book into the hands of people who need to be more empathic. And, and mm. so a lot of people are saying, well, a lot of CEOs might be saying, well, I want to make my bots much more effective, get some empathy into them. Why not? And my 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 whole spiel is actually let's wind back why you want to do it and how empathic are you as a person and an organization before you even try to delegate it into the AI. Yeah, I mean that's like a lot of people that that say you know here's what we here's what we want our brand to stand for, uh, but you know at its core <laughs> the the business doesn't stand for any of that. And I don't yeah, think do you, you, you can't fake that stuff. Can you? No, no, no. And are you people living it and? Yeah. And it, do the customers believe it? Because it's not because you write that that's what you want to do. That's what you are. Yeah. So let's let's unpack the the first part of that concept. I mean, what is? I mean, how would you define empathy as it applies to business? I think humans have a little bit of an idea, although I would suggest 
we could use a refresher um, on 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 that concept. But but in business, you know, if you go talk to a CEO and say, you know, we, you need to bring empathy, you know, what would that look like? Well, the way I, I do it is I don't generally start with blunderbussing and talking about empathy because then you're going to get the yeah. eye rolling and whatever this is, soft skills. I don't want to know about that. So yeah. I, I really tend to start with what are you trying to achieve strategically and what is your real issue? And so then, you know, you might get sales productivity, innovation cycle, um, employee engagement, whatever your issue is. And then I start lo looking at ways to embed empathy into that. So what does it look like? Well, it, it's essentially being more human, if you will. But that doesn't mean being nicer necessarily or weaker. It's just about creating more understanding. Because at the end of the day, if a business is to be good, trust is the currency. And how do you develop trust? And I think that empathy is one of the best ways to develop relationships, have engaging conversations, and ultimately develop more trust. You know, today content is everything. So our websites are really content management systems, but they've got to work like one. Check out Zephyr. It is a modern cloud-based CMS system that's licensed only to agencies. It's really easy to use. It's very fast. Uh, it won't mess with your SEO. I mean, it really reduces the time and effort to, to launch uh, your client's websites. Beautiful themes, just really fast, profitable way to go. They include an agency services to really kind of make a, them your plug-and-play dev shop. Check out Zephyr.com. That is Z-E-P-H-Y-R-C-M-S.com. Yeah, and I think that's a I think that's a great point that um, I think most businesses know very little about their customers other than like they have some pain point that we can tweak and get them to buy. Um, and I think this idea of of having not only an understanding but also having a having you know a way. I mean, it just it, you think about a human relationship, two human beings in a relationship who maybe don't agree with each other, but maybe need each other. Um, then, then you know, the idea that you know I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe, but I'm going to agree to um, appreciate or understand what you believe. You know, is is I think it's a is a I think maybe a lost art. Um, but what totally. what Thing is that you know you and I are recording this in uh, towards the end of April 2020. The world is in uh, a little bit of chaos right now, and I, I sense that there's actually sort of a a, a realignment of this idea of empathy um, globally because we have this shared experience going on. There's certainly a lot more talk about it, John. But I've been doing a survey. I've got about a thousand people who've answered it, and one of the questions I ask is, "Do you believe that empathy?" Is on the rise, is the same yeah. or on decline over the last decade? And I've done this over many countries, uh, but 60% of people believe that's on decline. So sure. I think, A, we're talking about it more, which means that people are a little bit more aware of what it is. So yeah. maybe that is contributing to this notion. But I, I, I think that we are experience, we're, we're looking for empathy. That's yeah. people to, to hear me out, not just like intellectually hear what I'm saying, but also feel what I'm feeling. And, and the extraordinary thing, John, is through all these Zooms and all these <laughs> you know, ridiculous number of meetings we're now doing, A, not only am I seeing what's in your house yeah, and that the, the sounds of your dog and, and your child, hey, Papa, I need some food. I mean, sh 
you're trying to tell them to. So your yeah. your personal life is is now part of your professional engagement now, oh. and 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 we're all experiencing fear and and there's a lot of a deeper emotions, and you, you can't just go into a conversation and just do it quickly. Uh, yeah. How are you feeling, John? Uh, yeah. Have you got anyone? Oh, are you all safe? You good? We if you don't do that, then who are you? And yeah, so I think yeah. you're right, John. That's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about that idea of going into people's uh, personal spaces. Um, I, I wrote a long time ago that if, you know, if, if you really want to, if you wanted to get to know your customer, potential customer, <laughs> um, you know, the, the absolute best way to do it would be to go look inside their closet or their refrigerator or you know something, because I think those places tell more about who we are and what we care about than, than any amount of surveying a person could do. So there, there maybe is a glimpse of that for hopefully for good and not for evil mm. uh, that, that marketers might actually uh, uh, being treated to. That's a really interesting point. If I'm, if I may, John, I think that the, the notion of orientating it or, towards the customer yeah. is a, a shortcut because yeah. I believe the real need is to orient it first within your team. Sure. Because if you want your team to demonstrate that behavior with your customer, yeah. you've got to know how to do it inside. And so the, the whole notion of my book was to say, well, AI is sort of the outward facing component of it. Before that, you've got salespeople and, and people manning the desks at the stores yeah. and whatever and customer service. Yeah. And so you need to manage them yeah. who are then going to manage the AI, who are then going to interface with the customer. And that's the chain. And it and even if I want to be a little bit more dogmatic, Start with empathy with yourself. Be aware sure. of who you are, how you're feeling. And so when you have your shitty day and you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you're aware of that. You may not be able to do anything, but you, you allow yourself to be more vulnerable. You allow yourself to be a real person. And that means that the people are you're more trustworthy. Yeah. Not like this yeah. perfect thing. Yeah. It's funny. Um, in my book, The Referral Engine, the line that people always tell me just jumps out at them as, as I wrote – um, that that your uh, employees are probably treating your customers exactly the way they're being treated, um, and I think that that's that's you know that's so true. Now, one of the challenges, of course, with this, and I'm sure you get this when somebody you know brings in a consultant and says, "Yeah, go make those people empathetic," um, that, that the sort of hierarchical model of leadership uh, actually doesn't uh, have a place for empathy, uh, oftentimes, um, yeah. or or at least. That's been what the person's believed, um, you know, that they need to have the answers as opposed to, you know, actually being more vulnerable. So in your estimation, in your experience, is that something that can be taught um, to, you know, to somebody who maybe their entire life, their, their entire worldview is, you know, leaders tell people what to do? Uh, so I a great question, John. At the end of the day, uh, one of my theses is that you cannot teach empathy. It's sort of like trying to. Uh, teach love or tell someone to love you, you need to demonstrate why it's going to be useful for them. Because if they're a senior executive, let's say a male who's been in the business for 30 years, look at my success track record. I haven't needed this before. What the fuck is this? I don't need that. Yeah. You know, um, so so that's why I start with a strategic component. It's a it's a more in their parlance kind of thing. And then, then slowly but surely, I need to get to the point where Mr. CEO you need to demonstrate the behavior you want to see happen in this. Because in the end of the day, we all know that you can change behaviors far quicker and you can change mindsets 
So you need yeah. to focus on the behaviors. You break it down into little tasks, and it has to be modeled from the top. Yeah, and, and in my experience, at least, somebody has to somebody has to be convinced of the value of changing that behavior before they're going to do it. You know, they're not just going to go to a seminar and go, oh, that's a grand idea. Let's bring that back to the troops. I mean, it, everybody makes something a priority when it hits their wallet or hits the bottom line or hits whatever it is they care about. And I think that's well, probably the connection you have to make, isn't it? It's a crazy thing, John. I, in in my survey, one of the questions I ask is, can you believe, to what extent do you believe empathy can help drive your business? Right. And 88% of people says it, it will help drive my business a lot or to some extent. Yeah. And and so and eighty seven percent of CEOs believe that empathy can do a lot of good in different areas as a whole sort of thing. Yeah. But the, so the point is that a lot of people believe it. The problem is how do you do it? And it's sort of like doing life. Uh, you, you know, it'd be, it'd be nice to say, but you gotta do it. And that means being attentive, which means being self-aware. And and there are two things that kill empathy in business systematically, and those are stress and time. So if you're not good at managing time and you're not aware of the stress that you're provoking or or you know living then the the chances of empathy happening in the business forget about it. Yeah, that's a that's a great point because I'm I'm sure there are a lot of very well-intentioned team leaders, you know, bosses, managers, whatever that are under a deadline and it takes a lot more time to actually stop and listen to that person and ask them what they're feeling or thinking or doing as opposed to go here take yeah. this um, and so that's that's really a great point. Do you do you see? I think you started hinting at this. Do you see a uh, do you see a wave of of sort of empathy washing you know going on here? I see it in marketing. You know, everybody like stopped and it was like, oh, we have to change our message to. I mean, you look at the uh, the nightly television ads, the national advertisers. You know, the, they're not selling cars anymore. They're they're selling hope. Um, and and we're there you know, for is, you. <laughs> exactly. I mean, is that you know, is that again just a you know? It's like it's like saying you know we we care about the environment. So uh, what I would think is, I mean, ultimately it's it's an issue of mindset, and and the the similarity that I have with this is that everybody is now talking about customer centricity, right? All right. So they're talking about it, but who's doing it? Because if everyone's talking about it, the issue then becomes how better are you at doing it? And the reality is that if you want, in my opinion, if you really want to be good at customer centricity, you got to take care of the people taking care of your customers. That means your employees. So in my new book I got for coming out at the end of the year, I talk about being employee first customer centric and, and the glue between both you with the employees and the employees with customer centricity yeah. is empathy. Yeah. So I, I, at the end of the day, a lot of people are going to talk about it just like we need to be nice, we need to engage. I mean, all these these buzzwords, in the end of the day, it'll come down to execution. And the thing about empathy is it's something you have to do in the little details, like the big ones, every day. And you flex it, you keep on doing it. And as soon as you crumble and you've, you get you get stuck into too much stress and, time and you lose your time, then it goes out and you know you've lost your trust. So, so let's – this is really the money um... – round here <laughs> how do we connect this you you hinted at you know you're never going to connect this to ai if you start with ai but how do we ultimately connect this idea to to ai because uh, again maybe i don't understand enough about how the technology actually works but to me it just feels like that's that's the part that ai will never master feelings 
Right. So bottom line is right now it's it's a very far away. We've got certain aspects like replica AI that's doing some great things and Mitsuku who's got some good ideas. There, there are two parts to it that I think are really important in terms of like gauging our ability to do it. And the first is data sets. You need to have uh, volumes of data sets. And in order to right. get that, John, you need to have the trust. Because if you're not willing to share with me who you are, and you're just going to give me some pretense, some images, some number, then that's not going to allow me to understand how you are, how you roll, and be more understanding of who you are as a machine. Yeah. So that's really where it comes down to. And obviously right now, our, our, the, the, the technology doesn't have the capability of having complex, long, drawn-out conversations. Yes, you can book a hairdresser, but yeah. you know, beyond the first you know, small talk elements, it's very hard to follow our, our wickedly weird and uh, you know, quixotic ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I had a, um, I'll just name them anyway, because um, it's not like it's a small company. I had a very long um, AI engagement with AT&T uh, today. And, and, you know, what's so frustrating about it is companies of that size, they're not even using the data they have. Um, you know, I had to tell this thing <laughs> who I was, you know, what my account was. And I mean, it's like, in order to actually get to the AI, I had to tell them that. Um, and you know, that, that to me is what I think is really turning a lot of people off is, is the poor ways in which people are using it. Well, I mean, you go back to something that's near and dear to you is certainly customer relationship management. So I worked at L'Oreal for 16 years and, and I recall this one time I'm a young, I'm sort of young in the company and I come in and I meet another product manager and, um, I get my desk and there's a big box underneath it. I'm like, oh shit, that is dusty box and like, what the hell is this so i pull it out and it was a bunch of postcards and on it it had all sorts of stuff like you know what my favorite dog was my color and all sorts of information about maybe fifteen thousand customers and it had been sitting there for yeah. something like two or three years so i it's very similar in some regards is that the data might be there but if you don't have the real intentionality and the diligence to go after and then figure it out and break down the bloody silos where it's compartmentalized in different areas and you really want to get it. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess AI, I mean, we can, we can say AI like so many things is not a marketing tactic. It's a, a it's a strategic initiative. Oh, totally. I mean, and figure out what your problem is and then start looking at AI as way to, to help you. And I believe injecting little bits of empathy are great in all of these things too. Well, and unfortunately, so many companies are looking at those kinds of tools as a way to automate as opposed to actually create a better experience. So, Minter, where can people find uh, more about artificial empathy and uh, the work you're doing? So I self-published on Amazon, Artificial Empathy. It's uh, available uh, on Amazon as an Audible, you know, Kindle and, and paperback. And uh, my other books and everything, you can go on my site, minterdial.com forward slash books, where you can find Future Proof, The Lost Ring Home. Check out PBS when it comes, or you can find it on iTunes, Google, and Amazon um, to see the film. And um, yeah, hang out with me on Twitter at mdial, M-D-I-A-L. Awesome. Mature, it's great uh, catching up with you, and hopefully uh, we'll uh, run into you when we're back out there on the road. We certainly look forward to that, John.
This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.